The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Sarah, as you know, there is a vacancy for a deputy secretary in this department. And in spite of the fact that you are the most junior of our undersecretaries, but because you are the outstanding person in your grade, Sir Humphrey and I have decided to recommend you for promotion to the grade of deputy secretary. Oh, uh, I don't know what to say. There's no need to say anything. A single thank you should suffice. <laughs> no, well, uh, I mean, oh, gosh, look, this is awfully embarrassing. I mean, well, I was going to tell you this week. The fact is I'm resigning from the civil service. <laughs> resigning? Yes, so thank you, but no thank you. There's some problem at home, is it, with your children? Mumps. <laughs> no, I'm joining a merchant bank as a director. I want a job where I don't spend endless hours circulating information that isn't relevant about subjects that don't matter to people who aren't interested. <laughs> I want a job where there's achievement rather than merely activity. I'm tired of pushing paper. I want to be able to point to something and say, I did that. Sarah, you probably don't realise this, but I've fought quite a battle for you. Oh, have you? I didn't ask you to fight a battle for me. I'm not pleased at being part of a 25% quota. Women are not inferior beings, and I don't enjoy being patronised. I'm afraid you're just as paternalist and chauvinist as the rest of them. I'm going somewhere where I shall be accepted on my own merits as an equal, as a person. May I go now? Mm. Yes, of course. And I'm sorry I offended you. I can't remember how I did, if I did. No. And thank you. I know you both mean well. <laughs> Good morning, London. It's Thursday, December 6, 2012. I'm Mary Lou Ambrosio. And I'm Kathy Shadle of Five and, Feet of Fury. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. We'll be with you from now till noon. No, no. Not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Yes, it's true. Your usual Just Right hosts, Bob and Robert, aren't here today. The powers that be have declared that all this week, boys have cooties and are yucky, so they aren't permitted on the air. This conveniently overlooks the fact that this radio station wouldn't exist without the men who tamed electricity, who designed the audio equipment, and who constructed the building we're sitting in right now. So, why are no boys allowed in the treehouse this week? Because today is the anniversary of the Montreal Massacre, or as I like to call it, Never Hear the End of It Day. Every year we pause to remember the horrible day when the son of a Muslim immigrant whose real name was Gamil Garbi, by the way, not Mark Lapine, killed a bunch of Canadian women just for wanting to go to school, which is what Muslim men around the world do every single day then and now. And the Montreal killer got away with it, too, because the 50 or so young men who were in the classroom with them obeyed his order and meekly left the room. Now, 50 or so able-bodied young men could have easily overpowered one man armed with a Ruger Mini-14, albeit without casualties. Of course, that's what real men would have done in superior times, considering it better to die than run away and leave their classmates to their horrible fate. 
Instead of banning Muslim immigrants or bringing back the death penalty or doing what I would have done, which is just ban universities, the government reacted to the Montreal massacre by making it harder for law-abiding citizens to get guns, possibly to be used to, oh, I don't know, defend themselves in case someone attacks them. Of course, right after that, the crime rate actually went up and there were even more school shootings than ever before. Oops, actually, that's all just how us evil right-wingers remember the Montreal Massacre every single year. The thing is, the lesson we drew from the Montreal Massacre wasn't that different from the one liberals did. That is, we all agree that men are to blame. We just think that besides Camille Garby, those men are Mohammed, Pierre Trudeau, and the 50-odd men who let their classmates die. Yes, it's true. I, another evil right-winger, see things very much like Kathy does. The death of those 14 young women was horrible and tragic. And as a parent, uh, on this day, many of us will think about the unbearable pain their families experienced. Their families, which incidentally, likely included fathers, brothers, grandfathers, uncles, etc. But somehow those voices are not welcome in how we have been told we must remember this tragic day. For the next hour, Kathy and I will be discussing the general history of the day and what we see as the crass political opportunism of the feminists and Marxists who shamelessly use events like this to spread their misandry in their long march through our institutions. A walk made especially long by insisting that those men who do participate must do so wearing red high heels to show their <laughs> solidarity with the women. And that's women with a Y. Uh, now, before we begin, I'd just like to take a moment to dedicate uh, this to a friend in Ottawa who's involved in men's and fathers' rights activism. Jeremy Swanson uh, has suffered some of the worst indignities imaginable at the hands of the state, who kiss the collective butts of the feminists and do their bidding to persecute good and decent men and fathers like Jeremy. Now, Kathy, you may know that uh, Jeremy was a military history buff and had a firearm collection. I say had a firearm collection. Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the things that uh, happens when you have guns in Canada is that um, the RCMP can conduct no-knock raids and uh, basically just come and take your guns away. They can't do that with any other kind of property that you have. And this especially happens a great deal when men are involved in some kind of so-called custody battle. Um, when I applied for my uh, gun licenses, I have a restricted and a non-restricted gun license. The forms that you have to fill out include lines where you have to get your spouse to sign that basically you aren't insane, you know, like Homer Simpson, not insane. Now, this is kind of funny because if a woman really was in terror for her life, wouldn't she be so terrified that she would sign the waiver and say, oh, yes, my husband's fine? This kind of yeah. paperwork is so laughable. Basically, as somebody once said, uh, the government is interfering with your sex life, asking you, you have to say, I have a sexual partner right now. I have a husband or a wife. And then send the information into the RCMP. It's rather intrusive. It, it's, it's rather intrusive and it's scary. And his guns were taken away, I understand, because his ex-wife, uh, said, oh, by the way, he's got guns in the house. Uh, mm -hmm. They were legal. Didn't matter that they were legal. They were confiscated. And, of course, he has no way to ever get those valuable items back. No, and, and as I mentioned, now Jeremy was uh, worked with the uh, veterans. And uh, he oh. has a deep interest in, in, in the wars and the history. And, and it's just, it was such a tragic uh, 
yeah. circumstance this for him. This is his hobby. Yeah. Uh, other people have hobbies, but uh, he wasn't allowed to have his. So yeah. uh, one of the things that always comes up, of course, today, this time of year, is the issue of gun control. And I think it's just uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that gun control doesn't work for the simple fact that criminals will get guns and uh, they don't follow laws. That's why they're criminals. Right. Right. And whereas law-abiding people who may want to have a gun uh, for recreational purposes or for hunting, and I don't just say hunting. Um, anyone who hasn't shot a gun doesn't know what they're missing. It's a lot of fun. And uh, women are very good at it, by the way. It's a skill that women can uh, learn, uh, either for fun or for self-defense, although you're not supposed to talk about self-defense in Canada. Right. It's forbidden. Um, um, but the fact is that gun control doesn't work. When it comes to mass shootings like this, they happen not just in evil America, but they actually happen more often in places like Western Europe that have even more restrictive gun laws. Now, interestingly, though, is it Switzerland? Where, where is it that they actually in are? Switzerland, in Switzerland, everyone, yeah. uh, well, every they male, I believe, must have a, a weapon in their home. Right. Because they're... And what's in, the crime rate like there? Well, exactly. Mm-hmm. I think we all know that yeah. uh, it's held up as this wonderful country that we should all emulate, except for that one part. Um, so, you know, it's a complex issue. That's a very homogenous society and we aren't and so forth. But again, Western Europe is and Europe is always held up as the model for so many social programs, but they have more restrictive uh, gun laws and they also have just as many, if not more, of these horrible mass shootings that go right. on. Right. Well, if you know, no one's going to be stopping you or interfering and you are crazy. Yes. This, uh, over and over again in the United States where people can uh, conceal carry in many states, conceal carry states have the lowest crime rates. Mm-hmm. And places like Chicago that have astonishing gun control laws have basically a murder a day at this point. It's a little bit more than that. Again, it may sound like a great idea in theory, but how is it working in real life? And the answer is it's something's not working. These laws don't work. Right. Now, I think one of the other things uh, you mentioned uh, uh, is th- this idea that if if only we'd had a gun in this situation. Right. Now, not everybody's comfortable in that situation, no. though, as you said. Mm-hmm. But let's look at some places, you know, some situations in history where this has actually worked. Um, you know, if, if you watch a documentary on the University of Texas Tower sniper Charles Whitman, uh, inevitably, if you ever watch something about it and you're in a room with either liberals, ca- Canadians, or both, they snicker when they replay uh, news footage where it says that people who heard about the shoot, the, basically, in short, if people aren't familiar with it, another school shooting, guy went to the top of the clock tower at the University of Texas in Austin and started shooting people. Of course, it was reported on the news. People in there heard it on their car radios, turned around, drove towards the school, took their guns out of their um, trunks because this is Texas, and started firing at uh, Whitman and eventually helped the police they distracted him enough that the police could take him down. Now, this is the part where inevitably, when I'm sitting with people, they all start snickering. Mm -hmm. Well, who are the idiots? <laughs> yeah. They managed to actually do something about the situation. Yeah. And uh, again and again, although it isn't reported in the mainstream media, I see two or three stories a day from my sources from people from 10-year-old girls to 80-year-old women who have foiled a rape yeah. or a murder and, and with who, their gun. Yeah, and who doesn't cheer when you see those, you know, that story about the kid at home alone, 14, oh, yes. 13-year-old girl who heard someone at the door, grabbed the gun, 
and sh- and shoot him away, yeah. shot him. And this I, this happens every day, and it isn't reported in the news because, of course, it doesn't fit the narrative right. of uh, that all guns are bad and that no one should be allowed to have them. Right. It's just that simple. Now, I think uh, we've got a clip coming up. That's right. That you, uh, wanted to introduce a little bit about yes i did this is really interesting this isn't going to be uh charlton heston it isn't going to be anybody from the nra it's a very surprising person who came around to the pro gun for self-defense position because he's gay and because he believes that gay men and women should have guns as a form of self-defense um yes jonathan rock is a guy who is gay. He works for the Atlantic Monthly. And um, and he kind of uh, went out on a limb in the gay community and said, you know what, I think we need to have some armed defense. And this has kind of caught on. There is a group called the Pink Pistols. They aren't as big as maybe they should be, but um, they, they believe that they should have the right to defend themselves, that this is yes. really the best way to defend themselves against gay bashing. Um, when push comes to show, of, all the slogans, all the buttons, all the posters, all the the uh, awareness raising and, and PSAs. It isn't going to work if you're in a dark alley with, with three uh, scumbags. So, uh, you know, but if you go to the Atlantic Monthly and, and, and Google Pink Pistols, um, you'll actually be able to see what he has to say. One of the reasons we wanted to talk to you is because you've done a lot of heterodoxical thinking about guns and, and crime. Uh, the, the mainstream liberal perspective on guns is that more guns equal more crime. Guns are like germs. The more germs you have, the more sick you get. The more guns you right. have, the more people get right. killed. You've posited very famously the argument that, uh, that vulnerable groups in America, uh, and you use gay Americans as, a, as, as, as your model, should consider arming themselves. Talk about your theory a little bit and talk about how it played out. Well, for me, this is very personal. Gay people have been beat up as a kind of national sport of teenage thugs for decades. And the police did not help us. In many cases, they were, you know, quietly complicit. Boys will be boys. So then gay people said, well, let's go to the government and get protection. And that's kind of... Hate crimes legislation. Yeah, hate crimes legislation and stuff like that. And that's kind of like getting Congress to pass laws that decree you'll enforce all the other laws. So it's not very effective and it's demeaning too, you know, to run to mommy. People don't respect that. And um, then I met a couple of guys, both of these are personal friends of mine, who explained to me that if not for the presence of a gun, they themselves would be dead or severely wounded because the gay bashers came for them. And uh, in one case, the guy was carrying a gun. Uh, and in another case, his friend had a gun under the car seat. And all they had to do was show the gun. Mm. And the gay bashers went away. You know, by the way, just to open a quick parenthetical, most of the times people use their legally owned weapons to stop a crime. They don't fire Correct. the weapon. It's enough to brandish a weapon Correct. or and, and rack a is, shotgun. And this is all the more true if you're a minority group and the people coming after you are bullies and they're weak and they're cowardly themselves. And I realize, you know, there is no way the police are going to get there on time in most of these cases. and that So even if they were willing to prosecute, catch the criminals, et cetera, it's too late. it doesn't really You've matter already, to the right. victim. You already have broken legs or maybe you're dead. Right. So I said we should, in states where it's legal, gay people should carry concealed weapons and we should train ourselves to use them and we should let the world know that we are carrying. Um, this will change how we think of ourselves. It will break the stereotype of the weak limp wrist. Um, mm-hmm. Somewhat to my own surprise, 
something called Pink Pistols groups have spread all over the country. Well, so you actually gave it the name. Yeah, I, su I suggested Pink Pistols. Little did I know <laughs> that there are now these dozens of gay gun clubs. Right. But this is all growing out of very personal experience that guns are, in fact, your friend if you're worried constantly about being singled out as a target of crime. Why do you think there is such strong opposition to legal gun ownership? Uh, in, let's call them, for lack of a better term, the coastal elites? Well, some of it is cultural. Some of it is the fact that uh, virtually every time you read about a gun being used, it's being used for something horrible. Right. So it's just but a natural... you don't read about crimes that haven't occurred because Correct. a gun was inserted in the And there the are mix. probably quite a lot of those, and I know two of them personally. Right. Um, but yeah, guns are associated with, with terrible and horrible things. And then there's a third problem where I sympathize with liberals, which is you've got a gun lobby, which is like the NRA, which are so absolutist in many cases and can be so unreasonable right. that they stigmatize um, the whole policy. I think the policy ought to be that you're tougher on illegal gun holders and you're stricter about who can get guns and how many, and you do limit that. Do you have a gun? No. Have you ever shot a gun? Yes. I was terrible. You were terrible? I was just awful. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't advertise this <laughs> on the internet. Well, well that's right. For, but, for our purposes, but John Rauch is like the Chuck Norris of gay policy analysts I just put Washington. the sign on that says, yeah, come yeah, and, no, come no, and no, get no, me. That's you, right. are, but, you are the gay but, Chuck but Norris. But Pink Pistols was self-interested because I'm not a shooter. I don't want to be. I don't want to do all the stuff you need to do to be a responsible gun owner. But having Pink Pistols around means that if, if I'm in a gay location, uh, maybe there's someone nearby who does have a gun. And that's, you that's what you I benefit want. from exactly. the Exactly. We are, we are all, uh, there's what economists call positive social externalities and right. what real people call we get to free ride. Right. Let me ask you one question about that. One of the arguments made against concealed carry is that, okay, you have an Aurora, Colorado shooting guy in a movie theater, or Columbine, for that matter, is sort of the apotheosis of, of this horrible trend. Uh, I asked a number of people associated with these crimes, would you have rather had a, a gun? And many of them say no. Maybe the right question to ask that person was, would you have liked someone else, someone else. in the theater? Someone who's comfortable with guns, who served 20 years in the military? or his former police officer to have had a gun in that situation. I'll bet you a lot of those people, when you abstract it from you personally, have to get out and start firing bullets at people to, wouldn't it be good if someone in that room was capable of protecting you? I think you'd get a different answer. All right. Well, it was a great conversation. Thank yeah, you, thanks. John. Thank you. Well, isn't it nice to feel uh, yeah, you have, uh, have some support? Exactly. And and I would remind people, too, that, um, you know, we don't have a long gun registry anymore. We still have a handgun registry. But um, when people talk about the authorities, you know, having all this information on people and being the ones to decide who gets a gun and who doesn't, um, just food for thought, um, the agency in charge of determining who gets a gun and who doesn't is the RCMP. Um, and perhaps it'll cost me my license for saying this, but I think we all know that the RCMP has a history of corruption going back to the 1970s. They, you know, you can barely go on the news 
without hearing that somebody in the RCMP is up on corruption charges, is up on sexual harassment charges, is up on any number of porn charges even. That was very strange. So just to let you know, um, if you feel good having your information in the hands of the RCMP, and if you feel... uh, Some would call them a paramilitary organization. Mm -hmm. Uh, Having this information and deciding who gets to have a gun and who doesn't, just a reminder, uh, they have their own corruption and problems to deal with. Maybe they're not the people you should trust with uh, your life. Yeah. We talk a lot about bullying, and the gay community is very interested in this. And uh, I would just put it out there that maybe, um, you know, if you're concerned about bullying, learn about self-defense. There are all different kinds of ways to defend yourself. And again, this is an individual who thinks that gay people should have the right to defend themselves yeah. and do so in a effective way right. and, and, and in a legal way. Yeah, well, exactly. And this is the other point, is that it, the people who are willing to follow the law are the ones who end up getting disadvantaged? Exactly. Now, that That's right. You know, yeah. criminals are criminals because they break the law. It doesn't matter what's written on a piece of paper somewhere in a government office. If someone is determined to get a gun, um, they will get them. And unfortunately, the people who tend to have that attitude aren't uh, aren't on our side a lot of the times. Right. Yep. Yep. That's a problem. So now there's an interesting point too. Having a a gay man talk about why gays might want to. Uh, uh, embrace this idea of gun uh, ownership. It's uh, whenever I think about identity groups. Right. The left loves to say that we all think the same. We're monolithic. Clearly, we're not. Yeah. And on that note, um, we're going to be hearing from a, a woman in a little while, Erin uh, Pitsy. Yes. Who is actually the founder of the shelter movement in the UK. Very interesting woman. But uh, here are you and I. We're we're conservatives. Mm-hmm. We're women. We clearly don't share the same views, and that's okay. But somehow, as you said, the narrative yeah. is written a certain way, and when you don't fit it, people discount your your opinion. Oh, absolutely. Um, I remember when I was still on the left, cringing a great deal when uh, Margaret Thatcher was mm. elected, and Glenda Jackson, the actress, said, "Well." She's not a proper woman. <laughs> and, you know, that's one of the situations that really started to raise my consciousness, in, to use a feminist expression. Yeah. Here's yeah. a woman who's finally made it to be the first prime minister of, yeah. uh, you know, one of the great Which countries. Which should be lauded. It by should the, be wonderful. Yeah. I thought it was, you know, we can, yeah. we've come a long way, baby, and all that. Stupid me, dummy me, I didn't understand that only certain women. Right. Uh, see, it's kind right. of, it's like apartheid. It's only certain mm. women are allowed yeah. Yeah. to be proper women, and they don't quote count their yeah. voices don't count if they don't walk in lockstep to the fascist feminist you know there you go uh, well theories. you know and with uh Erin Pitsy she's a woman she was um she became famous for having started one of the first women's shelters in the UK and she started that because she herself was an abused child exactly and she knew though that this was a family issue this was a cyclical issue. This did, it did not have anything to do with gender. But pretty quickly after she began that movement, it was overtaken and co-opted by Marxists. Absolutely. And once she saw that, and they, they of course, uh, made it into a gender issue, which it never was. And it's interesting because, among other things, Erin Pitsy has commented that uh, her mother was, in some ways, the crueler than her father in her abuse of her. So it's certainly the woman who started this whole shelter movement knew that it wasn't about gender, that it could be men or women, and certainly Statistics Canada's uh, stats 
prove that as well. Yeah, they finally, we finally are getting to be a little bit more open about that. Yeah. I used to work at a very large charity that everyone na- would recognize. Uh, I sh- won't name them. And every year uh, when we put out our annual appeal, we would get letters from men saying, why don't you ever talk about uh, violence against men and, yeah. and domestic abuse against men? And yeah. I can assure you that these letters were greeted with great hilarity around the office. Um, I wonder if now finally that hilarity has died down as the statistics prove without a doubt that gays uh you know have domestic abuse problems in their relationships I, with lesbians i believe it's probably it, one of the highest it's, is it, it not now in no who knows why but it's absolutely yeah. true so um you know if you don't follow the party line you get mocked and laughed at and this is a woman by the way have you noticed that there's no big tv movie of the week about this woman that that meryl streep hasn't been in the big biopic about the great woman who started women's shelters you, you would yeah. think that she would be a household name. Gee, I wonder mm. what happened. She's been disappeared because she uh, she doesn't toe the party line. Well, in fact, yeah, she had to go into uh, literally hiding. <laughs> literally, uh, we'll hear about that at the at the end uh. of that clip that we're going to play next. It's quite incredible. It's but incredible. What, what, when you think about why did the Marxists want this? Right. Why did they want this? Well, if the family collapses, mm-hmm. it'll take a welfare state to take care of the women and children and a police state to deal with the angry men. So it's exactly what they want. Yeah, it's part of the Marxist theory that the family is the root of all evil. They they believe this because institutions like the Catholic Church and, and Judaism and other religions believe that the family is the root of society. Mm-hmm. And in order to undermine society, Marxists believe that you have to go to the root. The root is the family. And by the way, I come from a, the word dysfunctional doesn't cover it. I don't have a big, I'm not a big family oriented person, but mm-hmm. I can see a scam when I need to. And obviously the Marxists have, have promoted things like shelters, unfortunately, things like the Children's Aid Society, specifically to break up families because the whole idea is social engineering. We can raise your children so much more benevolently and wisely than you can. And indoctrination can start earlier, very soon as we get our hands on them. Ask the Toronto District School Board about that. They call themselves co-parents. That is frightening. Yes, it's very scary. Listen, if they're co-parents, I want to know where the (laughs) money is for the winter clothes, Are they changing diapers? No, of course not. No, 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 they're no. taking Not another sick kind of day. Yeah. <laughs> another yeah. development day. I was going to mention, actually, that uh, I mentioned the name of Jeremy Swanson, who yes. was a man who was very active in father's rights. Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, he actually sent us an email this morning, didn't That's he? That's right. That um, was interesting. Yeah, and one of the things he... Or a few, a few of the things he talked about very important, but the... Um, the fact that, yeah, there is no support. You mentioned about the mm-hmm. shelter. There is no support for men uh, who are going through these terrible things. And you know what the statistics are like for the suicide rate exactly. among men. It's catastrophic. It really is terrible. Because, well, men don't have that. Emo- they don't have a way to connect emotionally. That's not something that they normally do is mm-hmm. get together over these emotional issues. And when the system is set up against them as it is. Yes. Uh, again, you know, I have mixed feelings about this. Sure. It, it's um, it's sort of like the, the pro-life movement. Yes, there are a lot of people who are pro-life, but there are a lot of people in it who just hate women. <laughs> 
Yeah. And and I've met them, and they're they're despicable people. Yes. There are people in the men's rights movement who have great points, who have personally gone through absolute hell. I know them. Yep. They've they've had their children uh, taken away from them. Yet they're expected to pay tens of thousands Absolutely. of dollars a month that yeah. they literally don't yeah. have. Yeah. But there are also men who have tried to use the system against women before. So it, it happens, I want to yeah. try to make it fair. Absolutely. But I hear over and over again that the feminization of the the legal system is part of the problem problem here. It's staggering, Kathy. I've actually done work with yes. fathers' rights groups and I am, even though as, well, as aware I am of, I, as I am of the issues, I'm sometimes blown away by what I see. Um, you know, this, and, and in Jeremy's email, he, he talks about the fact that they have tried to appeal. Everybody says, claims they want, uh, uh, they want a solution to this violence and these problems, yet they don't talk to men uh, at all. When, when these groups approach uh, police and politicians to say, look, do you want some input from us about right. what's going on? No. No, they're but, literally laughed at, which yes. is really uh, not very compassionate and tolerant, uh, no, no. in my opinion. Jeremy was mentioning that uh, at one conference uh, he attended, um, a symposium on domestic violence, one of the Ottawa judges actually said, luckily in Canada, we don't need evidence to have a man charged with domestic violence. <laughs> Oh, how lucky. Isn't oh. that great? I remember attending, actually, Chris Bentley, the Attorney General's office once with one of the fathers. And it was at a time when the man who came up with the idea of zero tolerance. Yes. In other words, if there's a domestic dis- dispute, mm-hmm. you arrest the man. The officers are told, arrest the man no matter what. No, we don't want to hear the story. You just take the man into custody. Right. Yep. Well, what happened was some strange circumstance occurred where it was actually the woman that was arrested. Once that happened, suddenly the man who came up with the zero tolerance policy was in the news saying, perhaps we need to rethink this (laughs) and actually wait for evidence. So I I happened to be in uh, uh, Chris Bentley's office and I, I brought a copy of the article and I said, now, apart from the fact that it took a woman being falsely accused to, 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 to be the instigation for this, is, are you guys going to finally do something about this? It's outrageous. The number of men who, whose uh, reputations are ruined, yep. who, it affects their custody later. Yep. These things can affect their jobs. It can affect jobs. Absolutely. I know that in the States they do background checks, and if you are missing um, child support payments, you can actually not get the job. Now, I don't know right. if that's done up here, if it's legal up here. And again, as someone whose father died, uh, you know, basically owing her thousands of dollars in child support. I'm not automatically sympathetic. But you hear some horror stories out there. And um, and thinking of that fellow you were just talking about, what would we do without experts? I love these people who have a few letters after their name. They write a few articles and Mm -hmm. suddenly their opinion, their quirky, bizarre opinion becomes public policy. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, nobody with zero thought to how many people this is affecting because not... Uh, myself, I've come to this issue, I care about this issue um, for a few reasons, but I mean, just on the, on the, on the justice question, it's a matter of simple justice. Yes. How could you convict someone with no evidence mm-hmm. other than in a situation where there's absolute bias applied, That's unreasonable right. bias, because it just wouldn't happen in a sane world. Well, it's considered justice by some people because they have an idea of restorative justice, oh, which yes, is, yes, yes. this is all revenge for the 500 things that some other guy did, yes. and uh, <laughs> and so forth. It's the reason people cheered when OJ got off. It's yeah. the same kind of weird tribal right. 
almost primitive uh, cheerleading that people have. It's It may be justice in their minds, but it's not the way it was understood in the West for hundreds of years that's for no sure. exactly no. and uh, and i don't know i know when you think about how men often lose everything mm-hmm. what kind of state of mind does this put them in and how much are we um how much do we think we can pile on them exactly you know it's interesting to me kathy you and i are both interested in the issue of radical islam right and there's a place where uh the left loves to issue mea culpas mm-hmm. and say it's our fault because of mistreatment or this or that um but in the case of men they never consider whether you know all of what what is what men are subjected to yes uh and not that i'm saying they should as far as i'm concerned every the bar should be high for everybody but why is it that they make exceptions for certain their certain favored groups no my uh decoder ring has been in the pawn shop for some time (laughs) i'll never understand the logic that says that 9-11 was america's fault but a woman getting beaten up by her husband mm. was somehow his fault. Either it's always the victim who's to blame right. or the victim is never to blame. Please, people, try to affect some consistency yes, at least exactly. when you go out. Now, uh, we're coming up to the half hour where we have to take a break. Um, before we go into the break, you'll be hearing from Erin Pitsy, mm-hmm. the woman we were talking about the shelter who started the shelter movement in the UK. And coming back out of the break, you'll be hearing uh, from Martha McSally, a Republican candidate. Very impressive woman who was subjected to the nonsense of how Republicans are waging a war on women. That's right. So we'll be back shortly. Thanks. Regarding the feminist movement, what does the slogan make the personal political mean? To me, that, that I always hated that slogan. What it really means is you take your personal damage and one of the things that's very obvious in those very early days of the women's movement, how many of the radical women leaders of the movement themselves had really disturbed backgrounds and were very, very violent. Uh, and then you make that political. So if my dad's a sh- all men are sh- If you say that, you can do almost anything you like. You could go from the personal and make it political. So what happened is sufficient group of women got together to complain bitterly. Because you have to remember the beginning of the feminist movement was a Marxist movement. It was women in the left of, of the politics in Britain who decided that they had had enough of working with men on the left and were going to have their own, in quotes, movement. So our feminist movement never grew from a grassroots of the working class women that they were always talking about. There weren't any working class women. It was actually academics, university lecturers, um, young women students was the beginning of the women's movement. The most successful part of it is that at that point in the, in the 70s, if you think about it, the majority of women who were journalists internationally were very heavy radical feminists. So they had the women's pages. And of course, male journalists and male editors, seeing it as, in quotes, a woman's problem, left it to them. And very quickly, there was a savage kind of censorship, and anybody who dared argue was in very serious trouble. They were very, very highly organized Marxist groups of women of one sort or another. Uh, when I remember being horrified when I saw them storming the Miss World competition, thinking to myself, how can these women talk about liberation for women and su- women supporting each other and then go and bully a section of other women that they don't like because they're doing something they don't approve of? And outside, and this is in the, the press cuttings, there were huge demonstration with banners and on the banners it said all men are bastards all men are rapists and I asked the police I went down and said to the police 
if that was black men or Jews, you'd arrest those women. And one of them said, we're frightened of them. Over the 12 years that I was running the refuge, if I went to speak, there was screaming feminists outside. I tried to publish a book called Prone to Violence. We finally did get it published, but I had to have a police escort all around England, and there were death threats and bomb threats. And the final moment came for me after struggling for all those years. Uh, when the bomb disposal unit came to my house because there was a suspect package and said everything that came to me had to go to them first because they were concerned about my safety and the safety of my family. And that's when I left England and went into exile for something like 15 years. I'm a woman warrior. I've been fighting for women's rights and women's equality my whole life. You want to talk about a worn woman? Walk in my shoes down the streets of Kabul. Walk in my shoes down the streets of Riyadh, where women have to be covered up, where they're stoned, where they're honor killed if they've been raped, where they can't drive and they can't travel without the permission of a male relative. That's a war on women. When I talk about, when I go out and talk to women in our district and around the country, they're concerned right now about jobs. They're concerned about affordable health care. They're concerned about the future of Social Security and Medicare for them and a good education for their kids. That's what I'm ready to fight for. These ads are totally false and distorting my positions. And Mr. Barber today was on the radio saying he's against negative ads and he's running them from his own campaign that are saying out of the same partisan playbook. Scare the seniors, scare the middle class, scare the women. This is what's wrong with politics these days, and this is why I'm running to change it. Right on. <laughs> exactly. And just so everybody knows, that was Martha McSally. She was a candidate for Congress, I believe, in Arizona. Uh, incredibly accomplished woman. Um, just a little backstory about her. She was a colonel, retired colonel, um, from the United States Air Force. She's Harvard-educated. She was the first American woman to fly in combat since the 1991 lifting of the prohibition of women in combat flying. Um, over uh, Now, this is just incredible. She also sued Rumsfeld because at one point they said that the women uh, serving in, in Saudi Arabia had to wear the a hijab or a covering. And she refused. And she said, look, you're taking me back. How can you do this to me? I refuse to do it. So she actually fought them for that. So... Now, then she has to suffer the indignity when she's running for office of having her Democratic beta male candidate right. opponent say that, uh, you know, the Republicans are launching a war on will women. Yeah, that's right. How insulting. And, and look at the two players in this. We've got this woman who, again, when I was introduced to feminism when I was a kid in the 70s, uh, you know, Marlo Thomas and all those people. You can be anything you want to be. Yeah. She's an accomplished woman. I'll try not to hold it against her that she has a degree from Harvard. <laughs> um, and she's on, quote, our side. Now, who do they have on their side? Well, they've got Hillary Clinton, whose greatest accomplishment was marrying brilliantly. Mm. Um, she managed to take the uh, Arkansas school board from 49th place in literacy uh, to 50th by the time her husband's term as governor wow. ended. And of course, who can forget Sandra Fluke, the woman no one wants to have lunch with, apparently. You mean, uh, Moan of Arc? That's Moan of Arc. Dennis Miller calls Miller call Yes, a woman who makes uh, <laughs> ten times more money a year than I do, oh. but for some reason can't afford birth control pills 
Wales and is 35 years old and still it's, in university. I don't, I don't know. They can have her. <laughs> this is, yeah, exactly. This is terribly insulting to, I think, it should be. Yes. To any thinking, working woman who's mm-hmm. struggling to get $160,000 a year, I believe, is yeah. what she makes. Yeah, she she makes wants a- someone to pay for her. This is what we fought for, Kathy. This is what women fought for. It's, it's news to me, but apparently uh, mm-hmm. we all woke up one day and found out that the big concern that we all have is apparently free pills that only cost $10 anyway. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I, if you don't have $10, you've got mm-hmm. bigger problems than birth control. You yeah, might want to get yourself a better sure. job or something. That's for sure. It's embarrassing. I think so. Yeah, some of these uh, women are are embarrassing, as we're going to hear a little bit in a few minutes, actually, with our next clip. But you'll you'll want to talk about who who they're so upset about in in our yeah, because we're going to be missing the one clip. Yeah. Um, uh, Basically, what happened was the University of Toronto. There's a group uh, uh, that's formed there um, that. wants to talk raise issue men's awareness issues right men's issues men's yeah. rights all that yeah yeah and so they decided to bring in warren farrell mm-hmm. who i don't know if people are familiar with him but he's a pretty impressive man he's one of the only males who served on the executive of the national organization of women they used to love him yes oh exactly but then <laughs> oops <laughs> he did some research and he wrote a book and he, he well, well he actually to his credit he just He said, he seems like a terribly intellectually honest man. He said, you know, we've been fighting for equality all these years, and somehow the pay disparity is still there. What's going on? So he researched it, and he found that there were... When you you factor in the risk in a job, the amount of time you have to travel, be away from your family, all that stuff, it turns out actually women are earning more than men. Wow. So... You can imagine how they felt about him after that. Yeah, that ruins the narrative again. It does. does. So he has, and then I guess he he realized that this is because he left, uh, obviously, because he saw that it was becoming all about all the male bashing that was going on. He couldn't stand it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, so now he speaks on these issues. And again, he's a researcher, a credible researcher. He has a lot to say. but and, no one wants no to one let, wants him say to say, <laughs> let him say it. Yeah, certainly not at the University of Toronto. That's we right. had uh, we had a, a, a clip. Uh, we have a couple of clips from the protest. That's right. One in which you will hear the women who object to him being there. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but. Um, Yes, perhaps in this instance, the decision to only have women's voices will turn out to be rather dubious since they don't really do anybody a lot of favors when they speak. No, not It's these like two. A, a, an explosion in a valley girl convention. It's very <laughs> frightening. <laughs> Well, I feel terrible for the uh, one of the organizers, actually. He's a young man. I don't know what his... Uh, maybe he's a father who's dealing with custody issues. It's hard maybe. to say. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But he's a very well-spoken young man and incredibly fair in all the comments I've heard him make. I mean, they try to bring this guy in just to have an event, let some guy speak. People want to come and hear that guy speak. And these these men are vilified. Right. Um and he he sounds a little when I see some of the video he sounds a little bit nonplussed it's like what what happened? What did I do? We just want to have a conversation. Well, as usual, That's... what happened was that a few of his quotes were either completely uh, uh, misinterpreted or misrepresented. Uh, ha- having had that happen to me on numerous occasions, yeah. I can assure you that it is not uh, pleasant. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the people who were women who were protesting his appearance took a bunch of quotes out of context, um, mangled them, yes. and then presented them as his quotes. Now, okay, 
that's fine. But then not giving him a chance to rebut. Yeah, exactly. That's not, that's not liberalism. That's fascism. Right. Now, I believe that the uh, uh, speech went ahead, mm-hmm. uh, which is good. Um, the, but it was interesting because it, it makes me think back to the Coulter thing. As you know, we, we had Ann Coulter. Uh, we had protests at, in Ottawa. That event didn't actually go forward, which is unfortunate. But in this case, the event did go proceed because at least I think, you know, the police, uh, the campus police realized that, listen, it's it's about free speech. Mm -hmm. Um, And they actually stood up for, you know, made made sure the event happened. Now, they didn't didn't reprimand these people who got violent. Of of course course not. not. No. But at least they just made sure that it was facilitated so that the event could proceed. Yes, at least he had a chance to rebut some of the arguments. Um, Whether or not his rebuttal... Penetrated the tiny brains of the of the women who were protesting is hard another matter. It's hard to say. Hard to say, and I think what what disturbs me about it is when I listen to what they were uh, complaining about. Mm-hmm. I get the impression they actually didn't do any research. If I heard, if I if I understood that he was saying that date rape is exciting and is a good thing, I'd be on the internet so fast trying to find what he said. Yeah, just try to see whether or not right. he really said that. Right, and that father-daughter incest is a good thing. That was one of the other claims they make. Well, if you go on the internet, you'll find out that, no, that's not exactly what he said at oh, all. Of course. So, but why didn't they do that research, Kathy? Well, because then that would ruin their plans the to have. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They they wanted to have. They're angry about something. They're angry at their dad. I don't know what they're really mad about. A lot of these women have some kind of personal problem. Again, she was taught. You know, uh, Pisky was talking about the personal is political. Yes, it's you know the neurosis is political now. A lot of these women are probably a little bit aimless. A um, lot of energy to burn and finding out the facts. There's nothing like finding out the facts to kind of ruin your day. I used to be a leftist. It wasn't fun when I had to confront the fact that communists killed 100 million people mm-hmm. and Che Guevara hated rock and roll, as a matter of fact, and would have killed everybody in rage against the machine if he'd had the chance to do so. <laughs> um, so it's not fun to have your worldview no. turned upside down. It's so much more fun to go to university where your mommy and daddy pay for you and you get grants and you get to sort of act out being a revolutionary. Uh, without any kind of risk. It's fun. I mean, frankly, who wouldn't want to do that? I I don't blame them for not wanting to ruin their day Mm -hmm. by finding out that they were stupid. (laughs) That's no fun. (laughs) Sad, isn't it? Yes. Because it is, I would like these people to hear people like Martha McSally. I, can you imagine? What an impressive person. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there was recently also a, a... a protest, uh, Ann Coulter's uh, oh, at appearance at Fordham got uh, cancelled. And again, when you listen to, I heard some of the coverage, oh. uh, I, I believe it was Jason Matera who That's went right. to the uh, school to talk to some of these kids. And it's completely irrational. But, well, if you ask them, and this happens constantly with people like Rush Limbaugh and Glenn Beck. Uh, I, I cover talk radio for a magazine, mm-hmm. and there are lists on the internet of top 10 racist things that Rush Limbaugh has said. The problem is that he has not actually said those right. things. That they were literally made up by an author maybe in 1995. Oh, okay. Now, I can kind of see it out of context, but you mean literally they made up? They were literally made up. Wow. Like, he uh, apparently said something like... Uh, 
oh, I'm I'm going to get it wrong. If the if the South had won the Civil War, the world would be a better place or something. Like that. Absolutely not said. By the way, his board operator for 25 years is a black man, snugly. Yes, that's right. Um, so I don't know how big it is. But anyway, it's so easy to just make things up. Believe me, my Wikipedia page, everybody go check it out. It's full of lies. Um, anybody can do this stuff. And ironically, as easy as it is to make up this stuff, it's also easy to go in and find out that it's false. But... But then where's the platform to, yeah. to, to, to address you, that? You don't have a platform to address it because guess what? You've been banned from the university. See right. how it works? It's I awesome. See. What a it's plan. A nice gig if you can get it. <laughs> exactly. Well, I think we, uh, timing-wise, are okay. So we're going to hear the clip, uh, one of the part of the clip from the protest of Warren Farrell at the University of Toronto. That they, the quote that they cite is... Um, what we used to call exciting, we now call date rape. Which I admit, that sounds pretty bad, just on its own, if, if, if that was the whole thing. But what they left out was there's a, a whole paragraph in between those two statements where he talks about how sex can sometimes be ambiguous. Uh, for, for instance, in that book, uh, he cites a study saying that 40% of college-aged women have said no or when they meant yes. And so in that sense, insisting on no means no becomes untenable if it, it, if it doesn't reflect reality uh, and that's as far as I can tell what they're on about with the rape culture stuff and in your estimation it was that quote specifically that I uh, think so I, I saw that one on a on a sheet that they were handing out I grabbed one of their newsletters I haven't looked at it yet I haven't had a chance and uh, what got you interested in the speaker tonight I advocate for father's rights equality and I wanted to hear what this man had to say because apparently that's what he writes about. I don't know anything more about him. I just want to hear what he has to say. Okay. But that's what I advocate is for father's rights between the two sexes, especially in family court. Okay. Fair enough. Just curiosity then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd like to see the laws changed. I want to see a more equal playing field. Especially well, custody, yeah. I assume. Yeah. Okay. Thanks yeah. a lot. Why are you here? Why do you oppose this uh, conference? Uh, so for a short while now, we've noticed that there's been an emergence of posters in the city of Toronto and specifically on campus promoting this so-called uh, men's issues awareness group. Uh, and many of us have been very frustrated uh, just by seeing the posters, but then also seeing that the University of Toronto administration has actually allowed uh, and hosted these events on campus, um, particularly because we know a lot of these groups actually promote hate towards women, um, and they marginalize issues such as rape and sexual violence, violence, state violence against women and other communities. And so, um, at first it was a poster, uh, and then it grew to so much more. So we've seen a couple of events on campus, in particular this speaker, uh, I believe his name is Warren Farrell, um, has also been known to defend rape and rape culture uh, and incest and abuse of children. And so um, we wanted to say that we actually do not condone this behavior. So why don't you tell me your name and why you're here tonight? All right, my name is Trista, and I'm here because I've seen these posters all around campus, like even before this, and they've always made me sort of slightly uncomfortable just to see them because I've heard a lot about men's rights and it seems to be more of a veil for misogyny, but I could never like find one thing to be really angry at them for. But then uh, this guy, Warren Farrell, he publicly advocates date rape and it's like, 
in some of his books, he said, it's called, or I forget the exact quote, what was on the poster? Like, um, he said, he said, uh, women, women or, saying no, right, is, well, what? I think it was like, um, sorry. Oh, that's okay. Um, it's like, he said something like, before we called it date rape, we called it exciting. Yeah, that's what, before and we called date rape a crime, we called it He condones father-daughter incest. He says it's perfectly natural. <laughs> yep, that's right, Kathy. An emergence of posters. Um, posters. Imagine that. I don't know, trees have died, and we must <laughs> wait for the dying of the trees. When I feel I'm... uncomfortable, I take another my doll. I don't know about you. <laughs> These women have heavy flow days every day, I think. This is and so I went to college, right? <laughs> and I learned lots of big words that I don't really understand. You know, it's a terrible shame too. Again, I don't know enough about Warren Farrell on this other issue that they're referring to about the incest, but I do know that he is a researcher. And most researchers to do credible research search, you you use non biased language. So for example, you wouldn't call you wouldn't say victim and uh, perpetrator, you would say participant A, participant B, in order to not, not to sort of pre-bias the study. Right. So I believe that was one of his crimes, was actually being a proper researcher. Right. I'm not sure, but I think that's what it is. And, I and, and notice that I actually qualify what I'm saying when I don't know, unlike the young ladies we heard from who know it all. Yeah, they know it all. And I'm, again, confused without my decoder ring. I keep <laughs> hearing increasingly whenever it's a liberal who um, gets mixed up in consensual, shall we say, incest, mm. that that's just another lifestyle choice. Wasn't and that Kinsey? In, yeah, mm. Kinsey and all those people. You know, that's just... why. Who are we to judge? So that's these fair. girls have got to get with the program because they have missed the fact that it's now... Uh, no, there are no rules about but sex aren't there, anymore. Isn't, aren't there only certain times where you have to get with the program? Yeah, Sometimes I know. you don't. It's so, so it's, complicated. I know. You, and, and, these women are ring. clearly my intellectual superiors and only they understand it. <laughs> you know, when it comes to things like, I, I wish they would get angry about someone like Kinsey, who's their yeah. hero, if they're going to get angry about a researcher who delves into sexuality. Uh, these people are still quoting the 10% of the population is gay right. stat, um, which comes from the fact that because Kinsey couldn't get normal, sane, average people to talk to him about their sex line, he was reduced to getting, oh, I don't know, Degenerates and criminals and ex-cons to talk about their sex life. And guess what? Lots of men have male on male sex in prison. So right. that's where the 10% of have you ever had sex with another man figure comes from. We Incredible. all know it's one-tenth of that. But that doesn't mean that public policy for the last 30 years hasn't been based on a fact, uh, a fake number made up by a guy who, by the way, did things in his study like, um, I, I won't really say them on the air, but things to do with toddlers and small children and, and sex abuse and things like that. Mm -hmm. But he has a movie made about him right. with Ray Fiennes and it won an Oscar and everything, so Wonderful. he's awesome. Well, and that actually makes me think of this other issue at the Fordham University. Right. Uh, oh, Pete Singer. Pete Singer, yes. Another, there's an interesting man. He's interesting. <laughs> now, you probably saw the coverage of yes. when Jason Matera went there and talked to students. Now, Peter Singer is a man who... Um, infanticide. Inf infanticide, he says, is okay. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
uh, sex with animals. Sex is, with animals. Oh, but it has to be mutually pleasurable. Well, of course, or I would think so otherwise. I don't <laughs> even know how that is measured. But he's a he's a professor, and I'm not, so I'll there let you him go. tell me. But there you go. So when you ask these kids, well, why is Peter Singer? Did you guys protest Peter Singer? They all said no. who or and they also said, oh no, I had class that day. I know, I love it. Couldn't you have had class when Ann Coulter was supposed to come? In the in Soviet Russia, class it, has you. You must stop going to class. In the in the old days, in the Berkeley free speech movement, they burn the school down. You, you what you kids these days? You're so <laughs> pathetic. Well, but this is again. This is what kills me. Is Kathy? When I don't like something, I don't. Don't go. (laughs) I just don't go. I'm happy not to go. Yeah, and be consistent about what you're protesting. Just because somebody, let's face it, where did these people get their information? I don't know. John Stewart told me that Ann Coulter was bad. I don't really know what she said, actually. Um, But that's okay, so I'm going to go out and protest her. They don't actually know who she is. They don't know who Pete Singer is. They don't really seem to know anything. Well, it it doesn't matter really, Kathy, because as we heard from that other clip, just the appearance yeah. of posters the was enough. The fear to- of paper. <laughs> paper phobia, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, it yeah. is a rampant, rampant problem. You've Maybe heard of get peanut of allergies. Now we have paper allergies. But only when the paper says something oh, we don't like. Oh, I forgot. Because yes. sometimes paper is okay. Sometimes it's okay. <laughs> like, you know, it's okay. Sometimes. Well... I'd like to be the one to make those decisions, though, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, but they wouldn't want us to, believe me. No, no, and again, that uh, <laughs> being a, a conservative woman is is uh, it's always interesting. Yeah, I, I myself actually ran in two thousand and eight oh, for gosh. the conservative party. <laughs> And among did you other have things, all your signs to face constantly? No, actually, not. It wasn't too bad, mm-hmm. but I did get called a woman hater. That's fascinating. I know. A woman with two daughters, yeah. I was called a woman hater, but it fits, right? Yeah. So it fits the narr- their narrative. So I guess I was going to be subjected to it no matter what I said. I know that uh, at one point I was supposed to attend a women in... Um, uh, like in government. Women's Issues mm-hmm. uh, town hall, mm-hmm. like a candidates meeting, and I, I didn't go. You know, I, I was running for all people. I want to represent all people, not just women. Agreed. Yeah. So. Well, I was nominated for uh, Best Female Poet when I started started my career, and I asked for my name to be removed from the really? uh, from the nomination because I felt it was insulting. Yeah. Um, again, that's when there were still vestiges of old-fashioned feminism where you yeah. thought things like that were stupid. Well, like the woman <laughs> in the clip that started this show who said, I want to earn this. Yes, I exactly. I want to know that I did this. I did something. Yeah. Um, you know, when you look, by the way, speaking of public service... Again, there's an issue that's just, it's gone away, Kathy. Mm-hmm. We, you know, there, sure, there was a time when women were discriminated against and not hired but in now these positions. But as, as far as the public serve sector is concerned, yeah. they are, there is more than equity. They're, Absolutely. They're kind of over 50% yes, represented. They are. I think I have uh, some information from the Treasury Board. Uh, we're looking at, uh, now, in, in 1983, it was 42%. Now, it's 55.2% women. But the even more interesting figure is the executives. Mm-hmm. Now, 43.8% of women are executives when back in 1983, it was less than 5%. Wow. I'd say mission accomplished. Yes, I that's don't want right. to sound like George Bush. That's or, right. Yeah. You know. God forbid. No. <laughs> but my goodness. Yeah. I, and, and notice, though, that that is the public sector where yes. um, s- 
standards are less rigorous than they might be in the private sector. And, I, and, and <laughs> affirmative action is A-OK. Exactly. It's applauded, actually. Yeah, so it's hard for me not to imagine that some of those women didn't get the job because their name was Jane yeah. and not John, uh, and that they may not be entirely competent. Which Especially is not competent to run my life, which is what yeah. most bureaucrats <laughs> do. Uh, yeah. I don't trust them as far as I could throw them. Yeah, well, Especially I, if they're like the adult version of the women we just heard in that clip. They oh probably are. <laughs> well, and I was just, actually I was reading something the other day about Susan Rice, who as you know is the um, ambassador may, may maybe. become, may become Secretary of State. Now, Obama has gone above and beyond to defend her. And if you took some of the words he used to defend her and applied them to a man in that position, it would sound really silly. Yeah, he's saying things like, you're going to have to go through me. It's yeah. like uh, Shaft or something. It's very strange. <laughs> Black exploitation dialogue. Of, you're yeah. going to have to go through me to yeah. get to Susan. What the heck? Excuse yeah. me? And, and isn't it awful that, I mean, this? a lot of this stuff is coming from the government. The, really, I mean, their role should be to protect our life, liberty, and property and that's it. Yeah. Uh, instead, they're they're actually involving themselves in, and a lot of the pu- public policy that we've seen mm-hmm. uh, in the last little while, you know, it can be traced to the same kind of thinking. Well, and it's so yeah. destructive. It's very destructive, uh, but it's basically a glorified make work project. I mean, women have bought the idea that they all have to work whether they want to or not. And mm. um, I think anyone who's worked in an office with women will tell you that most of the time they grumble about the fact that they have to come into work every yes. day. And they wish they can't wait till their next maternity leave so that they can get nine months off. And uh, they hate their jobs. Mm-hmm. So I don't ever understand why it is that they want them so badly. Well, isn't this part of the problem, too, is that we um, now we pretty much are locked in to living in a society where you almost need two incomes. Because of the high tax rates. Yes. I mean, some women are working just to pay the family income tax right. burden, which uh, it should outrage people, but they're too busy throwing showers and birthday parties and the other things that happen at my old office jobs <laughs> that luckily I don't have to go to anymore. Yeah. I used to hide in the bathroom while uh, it was like sh- baby shower number eight. I think we were a lot alike that way. Uh, yes. I used to go off with a book and read uh, by myself my whole lunchtime. Yes, that was me. Conversation. Yeah, I don't work there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, one, one more thing on this freedom of speech issue. Again, I have to say, this feminine influence policy, uh, besides radical Islam, I think the biggest threat to our freedom of speech mm-hmm. is women right. and the female influence in policymaking. Because I think most people understand that the, the rough and tumble world of free speech is, uh, you know, we, we can't can't worry about being offended. You wrote a book called Tyranny of Nice. And that's why, because the the sort of feminization of the culture has uh, reduced most women who are in charge of a lot of things, and men, to wanting everything to be nice and polite and, quote, fair overall. And, um, you know, two opinions sometimes aren't right. And uh, we hear that all the time when it comes to creationism, by the way, that there is only one opinion. But for everything else, you know, uh, they decide uh, what opinions are right and wrong. And what they really want is just for everybody to get along and have this sort of uh, daytime television view of the world where everything's really nice. nice. Yeah, Yeah, everything's nice and tidy. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, uh, civilization will come to a screeching halt if we aren't allowed to use certain words and if we aren't allowed to ask certain questions. 
questions. Mm-hmm. Um, so unfortunately, the sort of stereotypical female temperament that says, now kids, be nice to your brother. Yeah, that's stop right. Mommy, mommy's in control. Mommy is, is, well, has, has affected society. Yes. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for uh, listening to us complain. Join that's us again right. next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, and think right. Even if you're a woman. Especially if you're a woman. Color into black and white Under the bed clothes There's anti-male messages everywhere. I get on the subway in New York City, there's a whole car dedicated to domestic violence. There's a picture of 50 women with black eyes crying. There's a big sign that reads, Every 12 seconds another woman's beaten by her boyfriend or husband. They don't tell every six seconds a woman takes a guy for half what he's worth in this country. There should be a picture of 50 guys up there crying with their checkbooks open, a bunch of zeros in a balance column.